today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Jesus says his peace he wants to leave with us. Not like the world gives. Not that everything is going to be fine. Not that there's not going to be some rustling in the grass over here. Not that the side of the enemy isn't coming. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that all through our Christian experience. The enemy is going to be rustling the grass. He's going to be coming at us sometimes full on head first. Other times he's going to be trying to sneak in on us. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus gives us peace, not like the world gives. But it's his peace that comes in us, that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, my God is in charge, and I rest myself in him. The life of a Christian is tough. We have to daily die to our flesh and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ on a moment-by-moment basis. Further, we have an enemy who prowls around us like a roaring lion, waiting for the perfect time to try and kill, steal, and destroy us. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that even when life gets tough and the attacks of the enemy are at their peak, we have God's promise of perfect peace. Jesus is able to give us joy in the midst of pain and strength to overcome all of life's challenges. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, A Confident Humility. very word that he uses for clothed here in first peter is the word that's most often used in the greek language when it speaks about tying up of, of the servant tying on an apron in preparation for service that very idea of again service and i'm wondering even as peter is writing this where we need to be clothed with humility that again his brain goes back to that upper room experience where Jesus himself, the Son of God, Almighty, clothed himself with a servant's apron and went and washed the feet of the disciples. As we see this, as you and I understand that we're a child of the King, that we don't need to strive for position or for place. You are a child of of the Most High. Therefore, when I know that, I can walk in great humility and I can do it before anyone. Wherever they're at in whatever status, that I can walk in humility among those who are are within our society or on the lowest rung of our society. I can walk and I can serve in humility. It's not a brain game of thinking, well, if I lower myself to help that one, no. It's an understanding of who I am in Christ, and I'm able to do that. And I can also be in humility before those that are higher up within our society, and I'm not worried about demeaning myself or making myself look little before men because, beloved, it just doesn't matter what we look like before men. It just doesn't matter, even though the world continues to yell out totally different. 
when we understand in God's kingdom who we are, then we can actually have true humility. We saw it in the life of Jesus. You remember all, all, all the reaction, the interaction that he had with the, with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are guys who puff themselves up. These are guys who drew attention to themselves over and over again. These are guys that surrounded themselves with the rich and famous to make themselves feel important and powerful. And yet we know that they were nothing. But who did Jesus hang around with? He hung around with the with the drunkards and the prostitutes and, and, and the sinners and the people from the IRS. And he didn't worry about it rubbing off on him because he knew who he was in Christ. He was intent then on imparting himself into their lives. And that's what lives of humility do. They impact other people's lives. And in the same way, we as believers, we're supposed to impact the lives of not only other believers, but also of non-believers as we interact with them. And all the while being very careful that we don't fall prey to the trickery, to the conniving, and to the deceitfulness of the enemy. As we ourselves try to impact the world that's around us, Peter tells us even right here as he continues on in verse 8. He says, but be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Every one of us as, as believers, once you come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you declare, no, I want to follow Jesus in my life, suddenly you become a prime target for the enemy. The enemy looks for every opportunity that he can to stumble you up. And the ones that he stumbles up mostly, most often, and as powerfully as he does are the ones who aren't looking and the ones who are not steadfast in the faith. Peter tells us that we must be sober. Well, a better understanding of that and a more complete understanding of that, it's not just being overwhelmed with, with, with alcohol. What he is saying here is you need to be self-controlled. Your self needs to be under-controlled, not yourself controlling you. Spirit-controlled, led by the Spirit of God, not led by the flesh, not being drawn into the things of the flesh, but being controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. We need to live sober lives in that way. And he says not only is self to be under control, are we to be sober-minded, he says, but you need to be vigilant. And that vigilance has this idea of persistent watchfulness, just like a watchman that's on guard duty, that he would stand there and his duty is to watch and care for and pay attention to everything that's happening around him. Both this idea of sober-mindedness and being vigilant, being awake, being alert, watching what's going on, both of them have that idea of being fully awake, being in your right mind, watchful in every area and direction. Why? Because the enemy is like a prowling lion looking for the opportunities to devour, to damage, and to destroy your life. Beloved, if you're here today and you're goofing around in your Christian walk, there's not a seriousness in your walk in Christ. 
you need to understand that you're a prime target for the enemy. You're a prime target. We've, we've seen the National Geographic movies, haven't we? You know, the lion coming up on the herd of the wildebeest, and here's this one, he's kind of sickly, he's over on the side, and we all know what's going to happen. We, we understand what's going to happen. Oh, he's, he's, he's dead meat. And sure enough, in a moment, the rest of the herd's aware of the lion. They take off running, but this one over here, because he was sick, he wasn't really paying attention. Bam, he's the one that the lion gets. Or the one that's wandered away from the fold. He's wandered away from the herd for whatever reason. He thinks that maybe it's it's better grass over here. Sure, the, the herd's over here, but I think I like it over here better. And he wanders away. Guess one. Guess which one gets nailed? The one that's wandered away. That's the strength of fellowship together as believers in Christ. That's why we're called together as the assembly, the ecclesia. The church. That's why fellowship together as believers is so important in our lives. So instead of ending up as dinner for that prowling lion, what do we do? How do we, how do, how do we keep this from happening? How do we fight him? Peter tells us in verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that your same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him. And you got to understand that to resist, that's not just a passive action. That's not just standing there and saying, well, I'm, I'll just stay right here. No, this idea is, is, is active in all of it, in our resistance. We need to be actively involved in our own spiritual growth and the nurturing of our faith. We need to be actively involved with that in order that I might be able to resist him, in order that I might be able to stay steadfast in our faith. What does it require of me to resist and to be steadfast? I like how one writer put it. He says, the call to resistance doesn't summon believers to do Herculean acts on God's behalf. Believers aren't encouraged to gather all of their resources to do great works for God. You understand what he's saying here? He says, no, resisting the devil means that believers remain firm in their faith, and that is in their trust in God. Believers triumph over the devil as they continue to trust in God, believing that he truly does care for them and he will sustain them until the end. Perseverance until the last day is accomplished from first to last by faith. And as my faith is increased, as I grow in my faith, as I grow in the grace and the nurture and the admonition of my Lord Jesus, as I continue to grow in the knowledge of his word, that becomes that enabling factor for me to be able to resist the attack of the enemy and to be steadfast in my faith. That's why James tells us, James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not just in resisting the devil. you got to get the first part right first. Submit to God. That means in every aspect of my life that I'm submitted to him. I'm submitted to his lordship. I'm submitted to his leadership. I'm submitted to that relationship with him. Now I can resist the devil. And he will flee. 
James goes on to say, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. But then he also says, you need to cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. I know he's not speaking to any of us here this morning, but still, the, the case is still there, okay? Then he goes on to say, you need to lament, you need to mourn, you need to weep. James says that we need to let our laughter be turned to mourning and our joy to gloom. Why? Because were we supposed to walk around with a sad face? No, he's, he says in dealing with sin and the attack and the effect of sin in our life, the attack and the effect of the enemy in our life, that it's not a light thing. It needs to be a serious matter within our lives. And every portion of that is an active work that you and I need to have in our lives in order that we might be able to resist him and to stay steadfast in the face, in the faith. James, again, says we need to be actively submitted. We need to actively resist. We need to actively draw near to God. We need to actively cleanse our hands. We need to actively purify our hearts. We need to actively lament and mourn and weep. We need to actively humble ourselves. That was the last sentence of what James says. James says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The very same thing that Peter just got through speaking to us about. Well, Peter goes on to tell us that our brothers and sisters throughout the world are experiencing some of these same sufferings. They're, they're, they're experiencing some of the same trials. And that was true centuries ago, and it's true today. Those who come to Christ, no matter what culture they live in, they will, be, they will suffer and they will be tested for their faith. And that's why Peter told us a little bit earlier, he says, don't think it's strange, this fiery trial that's coming at you, as if, you know, it's some strange thing that's happening just to you. No, it's for all of us. But James doesn't leave it, or Peter doesn't leave it there. He goes on to, again, encourage them with this prayer in verse 10. He says, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Wait a minute, Peter. How come you didn't just pray that I would not suffer? How come you couldn't pray that? How come you didn't pray that I wouldn't go through trials, Peter? Wouldn't that have been a better prayer? Well, our flesh thinks that. And that may be true just for a moment. But the fact is, is those trials, those sufferings actually build in us, what? That greater weight of glory. It, it, it strengthens us in who we are. The testing, that refining process gets rid of all the garbage of our life to where we're serious about who we are in Christ and how we live our lives in Christ. And that's why Peter says, hey, man, when you get through with these sufferings, after all, the sufferings are only temporary. They only seem eternal when you're in the middle of it, okay? But they are only temporary. And he says, man, this is what I pray for you. That after you've gone through that, You'll be perfect. That means you'll be matured. You'll, you'll have grown in your faith to be a mature child of God. Not a babe in the word, but a mature believer. That you'd be perfect. That you would be established. You would know who you are in Christ. 
That again, you, you wouldn't be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. You wouldn't be, uh, again, just worried about this and worried about that. But there would be an establishment within your life in order that you can be steadfast. And he says, and also that you would be strengthened so that when the enemy comes against you, when every press of the world comes against you, again, uh, even as the word says, after we're all garmented up with that, uh, with the armor of God that we'd be able to stand. That we'd be able to be strengthened in our lives because all of our lives attacks will come. Well, why do some fall and others don't? Because some have been strengthened. Some are established. Some are mature and others are still wandering. They're wandering on the outskirts of the flock. They're weak because they're not being nourished within the word. They're not grown mature because their life in Christ has never really been stretched. And every time he gets stretched, they fall. They fall. I want you to be mature, established, strengthened, and settle you. Settle you. What does settling mean? That means peace. We could have peace. How the body of Christ needs peace. Again, I'll go back to National Geographic for a moment. You see some of those animals, and at the very motion of something, the wind blows the wrong direction. Boom, they're scattered. They're gone. In any little movement, a ground squirrel could move over here in the grass, and boom, they're they're gone. Why? Because they live their entire life like this, just nervous and concerned. Jesus says his peace he wants to leave with us. Not like the world gives. Not that everything is going to be fine. Not that there's not going to be some rustling in the grass over here. Not that the side of the enemy isn't coming. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that all through our Christian experience. The enemy is going to be rustling the grass. He's going to be coming at us sometimes full on head first. Other times he's going to be trying to sneak in on us. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus gives us peace, not like the world gives, But it's his peace that comes in us, that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, my God is in charge. And I rest myself in him. To be able to say in in, in the reality of it all, and this isn't easy, this is something that all of us, including me, still learning. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet shall I serve him. You think of that, mind that attitude of a a man like Job. It's a man who had peace because he knew who God was. He knew the mightiness and the powerfulness of who God was. He was a guy that was settled. Even when everything went away, even when everything went away. Did he struggle with it for a while? Yeah, he did. And it's a it's a long book to go through. But you, you look and understand, though, that even in that, God brought him back to that settling point. That God is in charge of all things. Peter says to him, to the Lord, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He closes it up with a few personal words. He says, by Sylvanius, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. We look at that Sylvanius, and some say, well, that was the same guy, Silas, that Paul and Silas, and he was now with 
Peter. Others say, no, he's probably a whole different guy, and he's acting as a secretary to Peter as Peter is dictating this letter, and he's the one that's writing it. And others have said, no, he's just the guy that carried the letter from Peter to the churches. You know what? We, the, the fact is, we don't know. We have absolutely no clue other than Peter puts his name in here, and what does he say? Our faithful brother, as I consider him. And you might look at your life in Christ. You might say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I've not done anything for the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an elder. I'm not uh, in, in any big area. I'm not an out front person. Let me ask you this. Are you a faithful brother? Or are you a faithful sister in the Lord? Because God takes note of those things. God takes note of those things. Man... You know, whew, we need to be, we need to be on the platform to get the accolades of man. No, we need to be out front to get the accolades of man. But God says, no, I'm looking for the ones with that broken and contrite heart. I'm looking for those who are just faithful in serving. For great is their reward. Great is their reward. He says in verse 13, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. She who is in Babylon, our, our, our best understanding to that is he's speaking about the church that's in Rome and Babylon being, again, just a, a pseudonym or a, a kind of a code word for Rome because of the wickedness that was in Rome during that time. She who is in Babylon, the church of Babylon, who are elect together with you, we greet you. And so does Mark, my son, and most people believe that that's possibly John Mark, but it really doesn't matter a whole lot. Verse 14 says, greet one another with a kiss of love. And I look at that and I think, kiss of love, we don't do that. Well, some of you do that. But we, we, we hug here, we shake hands here, we put an arm around the back, and welcome here. And whether it's a kiss, a hug, a handshake, or a pat on the back, that means absolutely nothing if it's not of love. That's the most important part of this thing. People get all so, well, should we be kissing each other? Uh, husbands, if you've got your wife here, yes, you may kiss her. Wives, if you've got your husband here, you may kiss them. But let's leave the other, okay? <laughs> let's just leave the other. Shakes, hugs, those are good things. But whatever they are, it's in love, in the reality of love and care, that we really do care about each other. And we really do walk humbly before each other, before God and before each other. And we all have hearts of service. And I don't care who you are, how long you've been in the, the, the fellowship here, what your position is in the fellowship. You need to have that willingness to wash another's feet, to care and to be concerned. I kind of hate that title, senior pastor, because it kind of exalts in man's eyes. I'm one of the sheep called David that God has called to preach his word and to pastor this church, not in an exalted way, but with an understanding of the honor and the responsibility that God has given me in this flock. Peter says, peace to y'all. Well, if he was from Southern Galilee, he would have said, peace to y'all. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Standing strong in the midst of persecution is a theme throughout the New Testament. Many of the newly created churches faced opposition from the world around them and were in danger of turning away from their faith due to these confrontations. It isn't a surprise that the book of 1 Peter also addresses this subject. Peter wanted to encourage new believers and remind them of the truth they had learned, that Jesus lived and died for the salvation of every person on earth. Sadly, persecution didn't die out through the ages. The enemy is still doing his best to derail the message of the gospel. Today, we want you to be encouraged as well. As a follower of Jesus, you will face persecution sooner or later. Stand firm in your faith, leaning on Jesus' truth for your source of strength and comfort. One way you can find support and encouragement in any season of your life is by getting involved in a local church. With that in mind, Pastor David has an invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in today to The Open Word.